My name is Cade Courtley, and this is Can You Survive This Podcast. The show is designed to teach you techniques that will increase your chances of survival if you happen to find yourself or your family in any life-threatening disaster scenario imaginable. Each episode will put you smack in the middle of a new disaster scenario as I challenge my guests to see if they have what it takes to get out alive. Knowledge is power, people. Can you survive this podcast? Hello, my fellow survivors. If you hear my voice, then you are still alive, and it continues to be my mission to keep it that way. I'm Kate Corley, and welcome to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today. Um, she has been called the Indiana Jones of females. <laughs> I believe you are the, uh, the female Indiana Jones, the uh, Oprah of adventure. She's a filmmaker. She's an adventurous. She, I, I'm just going to get right to it. She was on Naked and Frayed the first season and crushed it. Aww. And she is here with us today. She's also an author and a filmmaker, which I can't wait to get into. So, uh, folks, please welcome Allison Till. Allison, welcome to the show. Aloha. <laughs> this is coconut, coconut Wi-Fi here, so hopefully this, this all goes as planned. Can you hear the birds? There. It's very authentic. And uh, basically anybody watching right now is incredibly jealous, especially if they're sitting in their home waiting for this pandemic to move on. So uh, I can see you're handling it perfectly. You know, not much has changed here, uh, except, you know, being stuck at home with your, your parents in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> it's, always, it's always an interesting, but that's not really different for me. That's kind of been my my entire existence growing up with explorer parents. But, well, um, that's what I wanted to get into that first. Um, you have a really interesting parents, which probably meant an incredibly adventurous upbringing growing up. You, your dad is a world-renowned adventure photographer. Your mom is a naturalist. She's really, really devoted and, and huge into yoga. What yeah. was it like growing up with parents like that? Wild. I think that would be the best way to describe it is one word is wild. Um, yeah, I was born into a life of adventure, literally. Uh, I was born on the floor of a log cabin right near where you're from, uh, in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. And then at about two months old, they whisked me away up the highest peak in southern Peru. And that was my first family adventure, not, not Chuck E. Cheese's or Disneyland. Um, it was a little different than, I guess, the quote normal. But, you know, it was all I knew from the day I was born till, you know, I entered school for the first time, um, basically in college. Like I was homeschooled my whole life, just living in the most remote and exotic corners of this pretty wild earth. So, you know, one morning I'd wake up on a camel safari across the Rajasthan desert or, you know, going down the Amazon in a canoe in search of a lost tribe or uh, my parents when I was seven, they're like, all right, let's climb Mount Everest. And I'm like, pop, I'm seven. Uh, you know, so just, just wild wild adventures, um, but it wasn't just for the purpose of, of being wild. Um, they were pretty amazing explorers. And so there was, you know, learning survival, experiential education, you know, as a kid learning how to survive and to eat um, what, what nature provided uh, for us to, you know, to hunt, to, to fish, to, to pick what grew on the trees, um, but also to learn to protect what offers us life. And I think that's why I've really taken up the torch of adventure. Um, like you said, kind of as this female Indiana Jones on a quest to 
to protect and respect our greatest treasure on earth, which I, I believe is our world waters. You know, as you know, as a survivalist, we can only survive about what, like four days without water. Um, and so, you know, growing up in these cultures, I realized just how much water is revered, whether it was the treasures we uncovered that signified that um, or, or literally almost, you know, dying without it. Uh, so I'm a surfer and uh, love the ocean, you know, as well as fresh water and try to do everything that really um, protects that. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to be video, but I have my recycled oh, yeah. coffee cup pink surfboard here in the background and bikini made out of recycled plastic bottles. So, you know, just kind of um, taking up the torch of what they provided me and wanting to make waves of change. What was probably one of the coolest places that you were at as a child? I mean, you've, you've got a portfolio of amazing places that you grew up in. Can you pick one or two? Oh my, um, one or two. Well, I definitely think where I'm sitting right now is pretty incredible. Um, you know, w when you're raised in this unique, kind of different, very door the Explorer, Wild Thornberries way, um, you come to a point when I was, you know, a baby that my mom was like, oh, right, I've had it. Like, I have a baby and I need a home, right? So most people would think like, hey, we'll get the white picket fence in the car and the dog in the yard. Well, no, instead they got this crazy oceanfront property in Hawaii that was covered thick, you know, thorn keawe trees, um, never been sold in the history of Hawaii. And the Hawaiian family really wanted us to have it. It was like this Lion King moment, right? Where they're like, this will be yours. And so, you know, us, this, this wild, just hippie family started building literally like Moana style Robinson Crusoe off the grid jungle lodge retreat center, grass shack um, here in one of the last uh, real remote fishing villages uh, in the world. And so it's pretty amazing to know that um, not just the places I travel to, but my own home, uh, my parents really walk their talk, you know, with it's all solar power and composting. And, you know, you can see behind me, it's all bamboo and literally built by hand. Uh, we had no running water, no electricity. Now it's an amazing retreat center. People come from all over the world because <laughs> my mom's a yoga yeah. teacher, you know, to live off the grid and, and swim in the ocean. So basing out of there, we would go on these crazy adventures. And it's funny because I think I'm a surfer, but my parents raised a mountaineer. Um, so, for example, when I was, I think, about seven, um, they decided, you know, let's go to the Himalayas. And we returned many times, but we went up to Everest during that crazy snowstorm that hit Everest. Um, so here um, I am. You were up there when, when Krakow was on the mountain and we lost all those climbers. Was it that year? I believe it was. There was a couple, I don't want to say it wrong because I was pretty young, um, but I believe, I know that there was a couple years that that happened and I think it was. I think we were there during both times and here I am, this little seven-year-old girl trying to hike, you know, miles and miles and miles a day through snowstorms in the most extreme um, places on earth and all I wanted was to go to school, to have a big yellow school bus and to have homework. And so that, you know, would always crack my parents up because I'd wake up every morning begging them to go to school, which most kids, right? They would love to be out adventuring. But that was, that was, that was so exotic to me, right? I'd seen it in Disney movies on the airplane. Um, so one morning we were in this Sherpa village um, up near Everest. And so I basically like snuck out with this Sherpa girl to do that naughty, you know, thing of go to school. Um, and we had to hike over a, like almost 18,000, I think foot pass every morning. They do that to go to school and they'll get up at like four in the morning. They'll tie ropes on there. You probably know this from survival. They'll tie ropes on their feet, um, to have traction, you know, in the snow and the ice. 
and they'd make little fires every five minutes to stay alive. And then um, they would bring, they had these big water jugs that they would carry. And I'm like, that is so weird. Why would a little seven-year-old carry a massive, like the size of them water jug? And what I realized is when we got to the top of the pass, they took them off their back and they separated them and they were sleds. And so they'd sit in the middle and they'd hold the front and they'd slide the rest of the way down to school. And so I just had the time of my life and thought, well, you know, now I definitely want to go to school uh, uh, forever. And so I think that was one of, you know, my best memories. And it actually ended up being my college essay and my college thesis film to go from being this like homeschooled girl that nobody knew if I'd ever like read or write type of thing to um, USC film school and UC Berkeley. And then my film about Rita, you know, the little girl, the little stripper girl, um, went on to be nominated for like an MTV movie award and, and won Telluride and, you know, kind of launched um, my career as a filmmaker uh, after growing up with my, you know, dad as a photographer. So that's definitely one of my treasured memories, you know, from the mountain to the ocean. Uh, I've had some pretty wild experiences. With your dad having a job like that and just being around the world and dragging, dragging you and, and your mom with him. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's incredible. And at the time, you kind of wonder what, there had to be a ton of really great influences that your parents had on you based on what you're now doing. Yeah. What, what were a few of the major influences from your father? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I always, I always tell people this and you know, they say, well, what did you guys do it? And this was one of his main one-liners that I love about him. Cause he's this like wild MacGyver, like think, you know, Tarzan, life aquatic, uh, Jacques Cousteau, you know, he's got this, he's bald in the middle with this wild hair. He kind of looks like both the crown gone wild, cloud gone wild. He's so awesome. Um, always tan, bright blue eyes. Um, and my mom's kind of like the polar opposite. He's like this crazy wild bohemian adventure man. And she's like this like yogic, like, oh, you know, she'd always be like, oh, in the tent in the morning while he's like rustling. My dad is literally a wealth of knowledge. And one of my favorite lines that he always says when people will come to him and be like, well, how did you do this? You know, how did you travel um, with being these wild hippie families and having a baby and not having many, you know, coconuts to your name um, to be able to do it. And he always says, well, we live life on our trust fund. And so people go, oh, okay. You know, you, oh, you have a trust fund. And he goes, no, we just trust the funds will be there. And I think that's kind of one of the main things that I love about him is that he literally will jump off a cliff safely uh, and metaphorically to do anything that he thinks will be um, an adventure to kind of better the planet or to inspire someone um, to live a life that might um, make this world a little cleaner, you know, better and more prolonged place to live in. So our future generations, you know, can enjoy it. And so I always loved the trust fund line from him where it's like, even in these wild, you know, pandemic times, which you know, obviously the elephant in the room and we're not doing a lot of travel right now. And I've been stuck here as well. Um, stuck. I'm sorry, did paradise. you say stuck here? Yeah. You can't do that with a straight face. <laughs> so I'm sorry you're stuck there, stuck but. There. <laughs> stuck, with, stuck with a lifetime supply of coconuts. Um, right. No, but you know, you get your other issues when you're stuck remote on an island. Like they were starting to cut supply routes for a while. Um, we ran out of sprouts. No, I'm kidding. But it's, it's, uh, it definitely raises a whole nother, you know, we're the most remote landmass in the world, I think, um, here in, in Hawaii. And it's, so it's just, it's, it is kind of wild to think what could happen if we're way out here um, and things do happen. But, you know, I just have an extreme 
um, value of my dad for taking a very, very unique route. Um, he was raised, you know, in Minnesota to um, what you, you know, think is more of a conventional or normal upbringing. And so he really set out um, and, and not paved the way, but plowed the way <laughs> through, the, through the dirt, through the trenches um, to offer us literally the world um, with little means to do it. And so what I've learned from him is that if you have a dream and if you have a passion, uh, you got to do it and you really have to go after it and just trust um, that it's going to work and also do it safely. Uh, you know, like I remember when they called me for Naked and Afraid and they're like, we want to research because they, they, they contacted me originally before the show went out to see, you know, what my advice would be from a survival background and you know, well, so what do you normally bring into the wilderness if you're going to start a fire? And we're like, uh, a match, a lighter, you know, like you, yeah. you, you use what you use as a professional wilderness guide in these situations. So then when you do something like Naked and Afraid or even what you do, you know, you take it to a whole new level of what if things are taken away from you, then what do you do? Well, it's what's so cool about your dad and his job. He could have been the absentee father. He could have just gone here and there and around the world. You get to see him a couple weeks a year. Yeah. Okay. Yep. But it's so cool that he said, no, we're doing this as a family unit. And all the amazing experiences that you got from that, it, I think I would definitely choose plan B than the, well, maybe we'll see you at Christmas, Dad. Yeah, right. Well, you know, but you also have to think of the other side of the coin as, can you imagine spending your entire life in a tiny camping tent with your parents, whether they, we had burritos for dinner <laughs> because they were dehydrated beans and then you all sleep together that night. Or, um, you know, whether you have to get up at four in the morning cause you're going to get the lighting, you know, as a photographer, those morning light is really important. Um, and then you have the different dynamics where I'm just, I think that there's, commonalities wherever we go, right? We all want to be safe. We all want to be happy. We all want to be successful. We all want to be fed. <laughs> we all want to, um, you know, have health. And so when you're a, a young child and you want to have friends and you want to be kind of quote, um, normal or from what you see as normal, there's always that, that reality that, okay, this can look like the dream life to someone else. And I'm super appreciative of it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think I have tools um, you know, virtual, metaphysical, metaphorical, all kinds of tools in my, in my backpack that I never would have had um, without it. But there is that reality that, you know, not every seven-year-old is worried about their life every minute, um, you know, of, of, of survival of that kind of thing. And so there's just different elements, but I do have a respect for them that they did it in a way where they said, okay, we've been leading adventure trips around the world our entire existence. And what happens is, is you bring somebody on a trip, you change their life, you have this incredible experience, and then those people go home, right? They wanted to have a person who wouldn't go home, who they could then raise to say, look, we taught her everything we can. Now, hopefully she goes out in the world and carries on this legacy. And I'm really proud to take up that torch and be able to then carry on that legacy and like be here with fun, fun people like you. <laughs> if uh, you don't have any children, do you yet? No, okay. no, 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 God, big flip-flops to fill, right? Um, well, I'm just wondering if, uh, if and when that day comes and you had the option, I'm going to drag them all over the world right. or not, what would you do in that position? Roles reversed almost. Would I drag the kids around the world? <laughs> mm. Um, man, you know, 
Yes. I, what my advice, especially if there's families listening out there or people that go, well, how do you live this kind of lifestyle or should I, or I have kids or, um, you know, I think that the beautiful thing about podcasts is this isn't just about me and what I did. It's such a beautiful place to come for advice and to listen um, to other people's stories and hopefully have takeaways. And so to try to sum that up in a coconut shell, what I would say in terms of traveling with kids and if I'd want to do it, I think they're balanced. And I think having a steady home base is, is often important um, to, to have that stability, right? And then to go out from there. Um, and I also think that, you know, before the age of seven, from what I understand, I'm no scientist um, and I, I, I'm not a, you know, researcher in childhood development, but to my understanding and living through it, by the time you're seven, you're pretty formed in what you're, um, you know, you just, it's your structure, right? It's your roots. It's your base. And I think cram everything in you can uh, before the age of seven. So if you can, even if you can just take them camping or on some sort of adventure or climb a tree or go under a waterfall or just, I really think that we need this appreciation for nature because if, if we don't have, you know, right now there's so much with politics and there's so much with everything going on, but if we don't have a planet, it's not going to matter what political party you are. It's not going to matter what religion you are. It's not going to matter what color you are. Um, if we don't have a planet to live on, it's going to be, going to be kind of interesting. And, you know, I don't know how the surfing is on Mars, but um, <laughs> from what I understand, you know, it's, it's not, it's not reality yet. And so to answer your question about kids, um, you know, yes, of course I would love to share this beautiful planet with them, but I feel like if I can't do my part right now to protect it for them to enjoy, what kind of planet are they gonna have uh, to enjoy like I did? Well, I think that's a very self, selfless way to look at it. And uh, I, you know, I chose a, a lifestyle and a career that I knew I wasn't gonna be home very often. And there were some situations where maybe I don't go home at all. And that was sort of the reason why I don't want to bring a family into the world that I'm choosing to live in because I don't want to show up a couple of weeks a year and stuff like that. It makes, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. I totally get it. Well, and if you, if you talk to my dad, you know, our joke is always because I had you, I never summoned Everest. I mean, not in like a oh. mean way. We, we kind of joke about it because while we were there, all his friends, but a lot of them were dying as well. Yeah. And so maybe I saved him. Maybe I kept him from some of his biggest dreams, who know? I mean, he'd never, I'm not saying this like he guilt trips me. It's just, it's a reality of, yes, if you have a kid with you, you're probably not going to do the most extreme things. But he always says, you know, I was his Everest. And so that's really special to me. It's like, he, he has a family where some of the other people that were so gung-ho and egoed out and, and wanted to accomplish these things, um, they did. And they have the books and they have the, the trophies and they have the collateral from it. And then, then you know, and he has, he has us, um, which again, there's so many ways to live our life, right? It's not right or wrong. It's just kind of what you choose. And I think at the end of the day, you know, we're just, we're, we're a pod. And I think if you have a family and you can get out there and do anything in nature, go do it. It doesn't have to be Everest or naked and afraid. <laughs> Did you guys ever get to base camp? Uh, like how high yeah. up to yeah, base we camp? Went, mm -hmm, yeah, we went around there a few times and up like Gokyo Ri and, mm -hmm. um, you know, over lived in Namshave Bazaar for a bit at the tea house with Rita. And, um, you know, also in Peru, I mean, my mom was the first woman to climb and ski El Singate, which is the highest peak um, in Southern Peru that they decided to take me up when I was like two months old and I turned blue. Um, so they rushed me back down. But, so now I have something to blame all my idiosyncrasies on. I'm like, if you wouldn't have done that. Um, 
but you know, now, now they get a surfer, right? Which is so funny because we did so many mountain adventures and my real love was um, in the ocean. So you never know what you're going to get when you raise a kid, right? I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Um, I have the most respect, the utmost respect for Sherpas. They're amazing. Not only are they some of the most friendly and caring people in the world, but to be able to do what they can do at altitude, the amount of weight that they can carry without supplemental oxygen, you know, it, 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 Everest was a bucket list for me for a while. And I really lost interest in it when I found out that all you need to get to the top of Everest is a checkbook. And it really killed yeah. it. For me. Yeah. I, I hear stories about Sherpas putting a leash on somebody and them up there. And then you get the, uh, the gridlock right before the, uh, one of the final sections there. And it's just like, it just lost it for me. And then you hear about all the, the trash that's at base camp. I don't know if you remember seeing that, yeah, all awesome. the O2 bottles and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and it sucks. I mean, the Sherpa people are so amazing, but what Everest has become, I think is really kind of disappointing. Do you have anything more to say about the Sherpas and just their, their crazy strength and ability? Oh, they're the most amazing, some of the most amazing human. I mean, you, you know, everybody always says the two questions is like, where's the most amazing place you've ever been? And what are the most amazing people you've ever met? And it just depends on where you go, right? The Sherpas by far in the Himalayas blow my mind with their ability, like you said, to help to guide and to cook off yak dung fires and, you know, <laughs> all know everything in their vicinity. But then you'll go somewhere, you know, in Indonesia where these fishermen can go dive underwater for ridiculous amounts of time. You know, so every culture has their different amazing qualities. I went to a tribe in the Mentawais in Indonesia and they're still, you know, spearing monkeys with poisonous darts um, and, and using leaves to cure crazy things, you know, that they will call cancer. Or that they, So it's just, it's like every species, every culture, every people on this planet have something so unique. And so that's such a tough question to answer. But yeah, the, the Sherpas are amazing. I will say what was interesting for me is I feel like my my summit, my Everest was Trash Island, which was, you know, you get to the top of a mountain full of plastic in the middle of the ocean. And I felt more um, monumental and just overwhelmed with, um, you know, this apocalyptic mass of like, oh, what is going to happen to our world um, than any mountain. And so I think it's just all relative, right? that life is just about this journey and not really about the summit. And there's little mountains everywhere in life. And that's kind of what I started to realize is when we were young, it was always about like, what peak are we going to climb and what thing are we going to accomplish? And then as I grew up as cheesy as it sound sounds, it was really like that journey to get to that place. And then the aftermath, right? So if you're going to go to Everest and you're going to see this trash, what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. If you're going to go to the Maldives and you're going to climb up trash Island, and you're going to kind of go where no surfer girl's gone before. And instead of sipping Mai Tais on the beach, you're going to dive into, you know, helping clean up um, something that's really affecting um, our ecosystem. Not that that's bad to go on vacation and, and sit Mai Tais on the beach, but it's kind of like if you're going to go to a place and it's going to open your eyes to something, that's where I, that's why I started my film series and why I dove into making Allison's Adventures, um, especially to inspire youth, right? Because who wants to be preached at about, well, Everest is dirty and there's plastic in the ocean and we're all going to die. But what if it's this fun, classic surfer chick in a pink bikini with a recycled coffee surfboard setting up <laughs> saying, hey, I just did this crazy adventure. We just accomplished this. I met these amazing people along the way. Here's the problem in a very humor 
related comedy way. And then here's what I did to help um, solve it. And so that's, that's where I'm in life, you know, not just, oh, Sherpas are cool, but hey, what's a story about a Sherpa? What's a story about somebody in these amazing cultures? And then um, how we can become Ohana in Hawaii, we call it like Ohana, right? So I feel like I have this big Ohana around the world of people um, that I've connected with. And Rita, like from my film, she's now a nurse, um, you know, in Kathmandu the last time I checked. And the wonderful world of social media can keep us all connected. Um, so it's just amazing to see what what travel and adventure and, um, like you said, survival. When you go through something with someone, I mean, haven't you found you become like a family with them? Oh, absolutely. I mean, experiences that uh, can bond you forever, especially yeah. if it's, you know, a life-threatening experience. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I want to get, you, you, I was going to get to it later, but uh, I want to talk about Trash Island a little bit. We, uh, I remember as a Cub Scout, when we'd camp, they said, leave it better than you found it. It's just yeah. a very basic concept. Talk to me about how you discovered or found out about Trash Island and how you really, ex your efforts to expose it and have people understand, hey, this is out here. What yeah. are you going to do? So basically, I was sitting on this lost island of firewalkers in the middle of nowhere in Fiji and um, trying to talk to this chief about, you know, how they got their magical power to walk on fire. And, uh, you know, just another, just another day in the life. And my phone rang and it had no SIM card and it was turned off and we were in the middle of nowhere. And so go figure. So I picked it up like God, hello. Um, and you know, that's a whole nother talk of the supernatural and the magic that I've seen kind of, and I'm a pretty grounded person. Like I'm not wooey wooey. I don't do drugs. Like I've had some crazy experiences, whether it's like kissing snakes to save my life because that's what the shamans prescribed. Um, you know, there's been some pretty, pretty wild things that have happened. Um, but my phone rang and it was Discovery Channel. And they said, you know, we want to send you to the, to the harshest environment on earth for about a month um, with a man you've never met naked. And I said, are you kidding me? No way. I want to inspire youth and family and kind of basically hung up. Um, no, thank <laughs> you. And then over the year, we kept talking and it was kind of an interesting concept, right? Like Adam and Eve, this Everest of survival challenges. Um, I, I wanted to know if I could do it and use my whole lifetime of experience to be able to accomplish this, even though it wasn't like a payday or something. It, mm -hmm. was, a, it was almost a coming of age. So long-winded answer to your question, but it, it'll make sense in a minute. So basically I'm thrown into the Maldives for almost a month um, with this man I'd never met. He was actually military, um, but that was a whole nother uh, situation. I don't know if you saw the episode. Um, but basically it was the beginning of Naked and Afraid. Mm -hmm. And what I did is I would sit naked on this island. Um, and it was real. It was very, very real. So, you know, we were pretty much dying. And a lot of the time, all I could do was sit there and just try to focus mm -hmm. on something other than dying and try to weave a basket or do anything to catch a fish. And every time I would just catch plastic, plastic from all over the world, plastic water bottles, forks, knives, spoons. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, well, this label's from China. This label's from Russia. This label's from the US. This is Australia, Hawaii. What the heck? And what I did is I kind of made a pact with the earth at that moment and said, okay, earth, if you get my back and I survive this, I'm going to help you out because we're going to need, it's real, right? When you're in a survival situation, you start to go, oh no, if we can't catch fish and, and what if a pandemic hits, what if something happens and we can't do anything about it, we have to have nature to survive off of. So I ended up going back to the Maldives um, with my pink surfboard 
and um, a pink bikini. And I made kind of my breakout film in terms of that environmental world. And I called it a one person's trash is another woman's bikini. And I, I went to this place called Trash Island. Um, and every country, I think, has a trash island. This just happens to be theirs. So it's, it's basically where plastic comes from all over the world and these ocean currents comes to die. And it's also their kind of like man-made landfill where they'll put the plastic also from the resorts because the Maldives is a hotspot resort destination. So it's not just their fault. It's not just our fault. I've, had, I've seen trash islands in Tulum. I've seen them here in Hawaii. Um, there's gyres that, that happen in the ocean, these currents that happen, and they bring the plastic there. And so when people go, oh, there's this island out there like near India and it's all their fault, or there's this island you know, near China and it's all their fault, that's not the reality. It's that we all have a global plastic um, crisis that's happening, and it's gathering in areas that we don't see. And what happens is, is it's breaking down. They say by 2050, there'll be more plastic than fish in the ocean, and the fish eat these little bitty bits of plastic, um, and then we eat the fish. So not only is it bad for what we're eating in sea life that a lot of the world depends upon for a food source, but it's also, uh, not sure if people, people know this, but over like 50 to 70% of our oxygen comes from the ocean. And so the plants that provide our oxygen are getting killed by this plastic. So even if you don't like the ocean, you hate the beach and you never want to go near it, um, you're still affected. It controls our global climates as you're seeing. There's a lot more craziness happening. So back to Trash Island, um, you know, you really probably have to get a visual and check out my films. They're all free on my YouTube, my Allison's Adventures. Um, you might have seen me on these big apocalyptic mountains of, of trash, you know, in pink. But you get there, the odor, the toxic smell. They burn a lot of this trash, which is even worse for the lungs of the people that live in these areas. Um, and so what I did is, you know, it went so viral organically um, on social media when social media was kind of first forming um, in, the, in the viral sense that I was able to help make change, get it cleaned up, and now start, you know, um, cleanup and recycling programs and awareness programs all over the world. I'm actually working with the U.S. Uh, State Department right now. We just went back to the Maldives um, and taught the, the girls, like, in full, you know, hijabs, like the burqa-looking uh, uh, whole – it's just amazing. Like, they go out there, and they're completely covered up, and they're surfing, and some of them have never even swam in their life. <laughs> and so really getting them to love the ocean and understand that we have to take care of it um, so working with the U.S. State Department to connect island nations through surfing with an end goal to keep plastic pollution and all of that out of the ocean. So it went from me being, you know, kind of Tarzan child going, wow, I grew up with my parents. I love nature to holy taco. I am now on the TED Talk stage and I'm now working with the U.S. government and people to really try to make uh, waves of change in something that I think is going to be our next big crisis. You know, you see with this pandemic, um, it's one virus, right? What if something got in our waterways? Look how quickly something can happen. And we can only survive like four days without, without water and not very long without oxygen. Um, so that's the, that's the basis of Trash Island for you. Well, it's so awesome that you've had such an impact based on your experience and kind of what gets you out of bed in the morning on something like that. And there's so many opportunities for people out there yeah. to really have an impact, even if they think, well, I'm just one person. Not really. And Exactly. And that's the key is that it's, it's really not about me or what I've done. It's what can we all do? And so my platform is awareness, right? So I, I 
use social media. I use filmmaking. Um, I've been able to change multiple laws. I just helped get um, toxic sunscreens banned here in Hawaii from a film that I made, which is amazing. They just passed the law after 20 years of us, uh, you know, working on that, or I guess the whole lifetime. And then individuals, you know, use a reusable water bottle. Um, you know, bring your own cutlery. I uh, use like a, I got, you know, a bamboo brush here. You don't have to use like a plastic brush or, um, you know, don't use a bra, use a coconut. Uh, stuff, stuff like that. Or, I've been shopping for a pair of those, so you have to let me know where you get those. Coconut jock strap, I'll send you <laughs> okay. one. Or a coconut hat. Uh, you know, gotta, you gotta do what you can. Um, but you know, you know, you just try to stop with the, the single use plastics is what I mostly see out there um, as being the culprit. You touched on uh, Naked and Afraid a little bit. I'd love to get back into that. Um, so they, Discovery Channel kind of courted you, it sounded like, for a little like while a, for season one. Great hat on there. Yeah. So you got courted by Discovery Channel. It sounded like initially you were sort of a technical advisor, and then they're like, we want you to be in season one. And after you sort of said, okay, I'll do this, uh, kind of put us through – I guess the question a lot of people always wonder is, okay, you're naked. Is that a big deal? I would think after about an hour, you forget about it. And I would also make an assumption and tell me if I'm right or wrong. The idea that you're naked with somebody from the opposite sex has absolutely zero impact sexually after another hour because it's like, okay, I'm naked and afraid and thirsty and tired and hypothermic or I'm, I'm dealing with heat stroke and I'm starving. I would think that the whole naked thing is pretty much done as a participant in a really quick period of time. Yep. You nailed it. Speaking of nailed it, we probably could have killed it, right? You, you and I, we would have built like a. Oh, we would have had three, three floors with tent and solar panels that we created. Uh, you know, it would have been awesome. It sounds like your partner and I, I haven't seen it in a while was more than disappointing. Is that also accurate? Um, wasn't the brightest coconut on the tree. You know, <laughs> I, um, I, I feel for him because, you know, you're, you've been in military settings. It's very different when you have your boys and your gear and you're going into sniper. I got this plan. And then what if you're stripped of everything, you're training. It's very different, right? Like I grew up this kind of naked flower child running around in the jungles of Hawaii. Um, and so I was a little more, I think, comfortable with the atmosphere there and the way of it. But, you know, it was 122 degrees when we got off the boat that first day, from what I understand, they clocked it, and humidity. And so he fried, he got, I think, almost like third degree sunburn in about an hour. Um, granted, he didn't take the sunscreen they offered in the beginning of the very first day. But, you know, tough guy. And, and um, I would never speak badly about him because although the edit came off in my favor when both of you have to go through something like that i mean you it's gnarly for everyone right um i i don't think you can what would i say i would say that okay have you ever seen castaway you know tom sure. hanks he's got, his, he's got his wilson right mm -hmm. um and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but we were each other's, you know, Jonathan was my Wilson and we were each other's, you got to have a face, you got to have something, no matter how hard of a time they're having. That's why I would film a lot. Um, and that's why they got an episode, even though nobody could get to our island, because 
we got stuck in a monsoon and the crew couldn't even get there. And so here I am with my diary camera, somebody to talk to, right? And even though he was pretty incapacitated for most of it, and I kind of had to become the, the, the coconut winner, the breadwinner, um, just having that other human, uh, you know, you go through everything together. And so, like you said, you become family no matter what. And even though I think he, he had a little bit of a, a tough time with it, um, we survived and we went on you know, because of our experience together and being able, like Hunger Games, you know, where you mm. go from the wild to the capital and getting to do all these crazy talk shows and everything, that gave me the platform to say, hey guys, you know, oh, did you sleep together? No, but have you heard about our plastic crisis in the ocean? Right. You know, so just kind of uh, shifting that narrative using that platform. Um, but Naked and Afraid itself was an insane experience. I mean, imagine. You are literally stripped of everything. Well, you know in survival that shelter is your number one element in survival and clothing is your number one shelter. So you need fire, water, food, shelter, and not in that order. So when you're taken of your clothing, you're thrown on this island. We had to swim through this like shark infested channel to another island. There's no water. Um, I was running around getting coconuts, which he didn't quite understand because I'm tropical. They're like, why are you getting coconuts? Um, and sorry, trying to make caps. He really yeah, didn't understand the significance of what's inside a coconut? Right, that it has Wow, water. okay. But again, that's, <laughs> that's just knowing your environment, right? Like if sure. you're in Alaska, uh-oh, you know, I might, I, I probably wouldn't. Well, you're, I mean, you're given a great example of a misconception. If somebody right. was in the military, it doesn't mean they have those skills. It's sort of like, yeah, I joined, okay, you joined the military, that's great. Does that mean you can go and beat anybody's ass in a bar? No, it doesn't. Right. And so just because this individual had military training doesn't mean he's going to be able to apply that or do very well in the environment. You guys found yourself at 122 degrees. And I mean, yeah. And unfortunately, unless you're alone, which it sounds like you kind of were, everybody needs to sort of pull the weight in a situation like that. And if somebody isn't pulling their weight, you're pulling your weight and their weight and that becomes a problem yes and the one thing i can tell for any like female listeners out there even male listeners like i don't think i knew what i had in me and i don't think we realized as a society um what women are i don't know if it's because we were built to you know pass on the the human race or what but if you look at the naked and afraid over the arc of the many many seasons it's been on the women tend to have um, we don't get as hangry right away, right? We don't, we don't lose steam because you guys need a lot. You have muscles, you need that food, that power. Um, and I think somehow we're able to have a different sort of stamina, um, that pushes us through. Not always, but that, that's kind of what I found. So it was an interesting realization for me that here I am, you know, my dad's going when I'm leaving, well, you know, discovery won't team you up with someone, you know, make sure you listen to the guy. He's going to help you at all. And here I am like marching around the island, bare buns, like fishing and spearing eels. I literally speared an eel. That's a good I, shot. So maybe you're, there's a little sniper in you. Maybe there, maybe there is. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was shocking myself um, as to what, what will happen basically if the if you're presented with that kind of a situation, I think most people will snap into gear more than they think um, they will and that you have more in you than you actually know. And, you know, one of the most incredible moments that I remember, and I always think back about it is we were so hungry, like so hungry. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, you know, now I know why mothers 
kill to have food for their children or, you know, why, why things happen in life when people get desperate for food, for water, for shelter. Um, you know, even at the pandemic, you've seen how people, it, there's just so much, the toilet paper, the desperation, right? The, ah, we have to get this. And, um, and I, I know mean, it's I'm, to you. I, know, I, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but how laughable was that? The number one priority was making sure you can still wipe your ass. I was like, that's top of your list. All right. I know. I was going to start marketing my, like, what kind of leaf I would use. To <laughs> <laughs> right? I'll, I'll send you some leaves. Um, but no, we, we mapped out um, who on the crew we were going to kill and eat because we were so hungry. And the one guy we thought would be the tastiest. And so your brain goes to crazy places. And I'm sure you've yes. been there yeah. in survival settings where we were thinking about going cannibalistic and here no, I, I mean, and that's where your brain goes in that. I, I want to ask you a question real quick, but I was maybe day four of hell week, which is where we're up for five and a half days straight. And on day four, I was so pissed off that I was planning with my buddy, how we were going to lure one of our instructors around the building and murder him with our paddles. And we were dead serious. I mean, it, this was going to happen. And that's why instructors, when, when you're at that point in hell week, instructors never go anywhere by themselves because you are in that place that dark place and it all makes sense under those situations so i totally understand what you're saying we're like yeah, yeah we're gonna eat the guy who's in charge of audio all right <laughs> <laughs> who needs audio anyway <laughs> right um, <laughs> yeah we'll do the mime the mime name. no but you know i, I guess it's just because people see me and they think like oh pretty and pink and yes i love to inspire kids but what naked and I think what I think naked and afraid taught me is when you're stripped of everything, who are you? Like who are you? And I think I learned who I am because the producers, you know, I'll let you in on a little secret, but as we were going, the joke, you know, was like, how are we gonna die today? So when we want when it wasn't as dry, you know, they want to make good TV and and in the beginning it was kind of and, and I was having a ball. I was like, oh my God, this is great. I, I'm on a remote island and I can be crazy and and my number one rule that I've always learned, I think that my dad taught me, is your number one tool you want to pack on any survival um, situation is humor. Humor, humor, humor. So I was like cracking jokes. like Because once you, you know, your health, your wealth, your humor goes down, you're in life at another level. <laughs> you're going to hit the bottom, especially if you're in India. Um, <laughs> you need to keep that wealth, health, and humor going. Um, but... I would be cracking jokes and I don't think at first they were like, what's going on? But, you know, this isn't going to work. And then by the end I had them thanking me because it brought it to another level of realism of like, we as women can be feminine. We can be um, happy. We can be, we can do this and still have it be an entertaining show. I think we had the most watched episode in the history of the. Yeah. Network. You are okay. ranked number one. And in addition crazy. to that, you ended up with the number one, the PSR, the primitive survival rank uh, rating, which is, are you still number one in that? I know you were for season one, but I believe you still are. You know, you I'm going to be honest. I don't, the all-star of the series. I don't own a TV. So that's, I'm going to be honest by saying, I, I don't actually, I, I can't watch. I don't own You're, a TV. You know what? You're really not missing much right now, to be honest <laughs> with you. So keep that up. So I'm not sure, but, you know, just hopefully women and people out there can learn from that, that you, you can still be feminine, you can be you, and you can kind of, as we, in, in surf lingo, we call, kill it, 
you can yeah. kill it, yo. Um, you can you can go tubular. You can be funny and fun and 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 pink and vibrant. Like in other words, positivity creates positive change. Um, and so, I just think if there's people listening to this that are like in this pandemic right now and the world's coming to an end, um, or whatever survival situation you are in, just don't go into despair. Try to keep that sense of humor. Um, alive because at the end of the day, the way your brain works, it's going to pull you through. I, that would be, my, I don't know what you would say to that, but that's well, where. That's the way I've, I've wanted to go down this road a little bit. I'm most fascinated by people's mindsets when they're in a situation like this, whether it's in front of a camera or whether yeah. it's, you know, real, real world, real life threatening stuff. And, you know, I, I figured out a long time ago getting through training and, and what I did is this is the strongest muscle in the body is the brain. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible incredible what it can convince everything neck down to do and so you're put in a situation you're out there for 21 days your mindset you already talked about sense of humor which is huge because when you start taking things too serious in a situation like that you start spiraling down it's bad so on your mindset realizing hey we got 21 days did you try doing what i call little victories like oh cool i found another coconut that's a victory those victories add up over time and before you know it it's day 21. Or did you say, all right, I'm going to be here for 21 days. That's my goal. Or was it literally, let's just try and get to the next hour. How did, how did you tackle that once you realized, all right, clothes are gone. I've got this guy with me. Here we go. Well, to answer your question, which I don't even know if I answered before about being naked. Yeah. About 10 minutes in, you totally forgot you were naked. That was like, you know, when you're, when you're starving and need to find a place to sleep. I mean, I slept on the sand and got hypothermia the first night in one of the hottest temperatures on earth because monsoon season and the temperatures drop. I mean, it was, it was very serious. So you're not worried about the fact that someone might see your boob. Um, (laughs) Speaking of which I sliced my boob open the first day. It was like gushing blood. I was trying to climb. It was, it was pretty crazy, but, um, did it, did it get infected at all or were you pretty good, pretty lucky? Uh, yeah, you know, here's a little secret I'll let you in. I don't even know if it's a secret, but it's something didn't, I didn't realize by the way, we'd be discussing your boobs, but yes, please, exactly. please stop here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, yes, you know, why not dive in? Um, uh, the, well, you know, this is actually my coconut bra. I think this is one of them from, I brought back. This is my hand. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. I made one, but. Uh, it was so in- uncomfortable to sleep in that I'd end up forgetting and waking up and then being delirious and wandering around the island in this like Flintstone dress thing I found. I call it my Flintstone dress. It was backless. It was like a piece of cloth. After that, they made it, um, they banned you being able to use like beach trash and stuff because right. I was gathering everything I could find. Um, but, uh, but, you know, but my- so you're, ju- you're just into a day one and you've injured yourself already. And you're like, okay, this is tough enough as it is. And now I'm dealing with an injury. Yeah, now I'm dealing with an injury. And he was incapacitated. He couldn't walk from day one till, oh boy. I mean, most of the time he cut his foot open so bad on the reef when he hopped off the boat. Um, so he, I had to walk in to get everything. And what I'd say mindset wise is um, as far as TV goes and as far as the world that I knew at that time, nobody had ever done this. I mean, I'm sure there's people all over the world that have set off on their own quests, maybe that I don't know of, but this was a big unknown, right? So I didn't really know what to think going into it because it wasn't like I could research, well, how should I prepare for a 21-day naked <laughs> survival right. challenge with a guy I'd never met? And, and it was the first episode. There was, there was no one to go off of. Even the producers were kind of like, well, what do we do? So they didn't have it any easier than we did. You know, they'd, they'd leave us at night and go to another island and they'd t- try to find food. And what, it, w- it was hard. And they had to, we drowned a camera the first day. 
um, drowned mics. I mean, it was, it was a real situation. And um, basically it was hour by hour by hour, just kind of trying to figure out what to do. And so I, like you said, would small kind of humorous victories. I mean, of course I would try to do things that would help us, but also be funny. Like I told Jonathan when he, the first, he was dying, literally he was so out of it. And so I, I, I told, <laughs> I wove him a coconut body bag, um, <laughs> which of course I was making him a comforter to sleep, like a coconut sleeping bag. But that was my joke is like, I'm, I'm weaving you a body bag, you know? So we'd try to keep, or like a coconut jock strap, you know, but I actually made him like a coconut skirt or. Did you, did um, you start digging next to him? And he's like, what are you yeah. doing? I'm like, I'm digging your grave. <laughs> I'm digging you a grave because it just made it funny. I mean, he went and pooped like, right. My mom cracked up. She's like, I never thought on national TV, I'd see my like five foot nothing daughter teaching like a six foot two recon Marine how to poop. Like it's, oh, right. that's, that was the reality. And so, you know, he was a good sport to, I mean, he kind of had to let me help. Um, but he was a good sport to kind of let me help and not be totally at the end. I think he realized, you know, you just got to surrender to what, what's happening. And, um, I know, I remember one time he tried to eat raw shellfish and I freaked out. I was like, Oh my God, don't do, it. you know, it was just very serious. Like every step of the way you had to be careful. Cause even though it's a show, they can't protect you from yourself. If you don't know what you're, what you're doing there, it's, it's very real. Um, but man, it was just imagine being out with no light pollution, the stars at night. Um, and you're, and you're totally hallucinating. Like one day I went to cut down a coconut frond with this little ax thing we had. And I thought I sliced my arm off and I went running around telling everyone, Hey, I just cut my arm off. I need, I need medical attention and nothing had happened. But what was, what was the single, I mean, it's always a combination of factors, but was it dehydration? Was it exposure? If you said hunger, this was the heart. So it was hunger. I would Still, say hunger because it ended what, up raining. What day? Hunger. What day do you think that really kicked in? Where you're like, all right, this is the part that sucks the most about this situation. We almost had to leave because we didn't get water in about the first four days, um, and then it rained, and we started running around putting coconut shells out. Um, and then he actually dug a well, which was pretty insane. But then got sick from drinking the water, which I advised. <laughs> not to drink. Um, but, uh, I would say about day 18, nah, well, day 12. I mean, we just barely didn't, we didn't really eat. I mean, I think I got that eel somewhere in the teens and if it hadn't have been for like those two bites of protein, I mean, we ate the size of food that could fit in my hand that entire time. So you're just delirious. I just remember every night, it'd be so funny because we both thought each other were asleep and all of a sudden I'd hear peanut butter, peanut butter. <laughs> and then I'd, I'd go pancakes and we'd just have, the, like we'd talk in food. He'd go chocolate. And it, was, it was hilarious. We just, yeah, food, food. I'll never, ever, ever take granted for granted food ever again. And water. I mean, you know, you're, you're dehydrated, you're delirious. Um, but- the number one thing I will tell you is that if you listen to nature, and this sounds so hippy dippy, but if you kind of learn and listen and watch, it's amazing when you're stripped of everything, what it will teach you, you know, where the fish come every day, where the eels come, what it'll like, it'll almost show you what you need to know if you'll tune into it um, in a certain sense. So yeah, that would be my advice is if you're out there, just try to not freak out, take a breath. Um, and look around because even if you don't know, 
you'll start to you'll start to feel it kind of that's such a cool point we i got the opportunity to interview uh, a gentleman who was adrift in the atlantic ocean for 76 days in a six-foot life raft and he had some of the same things to say about the environment creates something you just got to tune in and take advantage of what it's giving you incredible story a gentleman by the name of stephen callahan you should you should read his book it's it's really awesome and uh and what a cool guy but so all in all you would say naked and afraid was a positive experience yeah yes i mean i think i wouldn't do it again um they've called <laughs> it many many times to oh, do i'm sure the 60 days and the 40 days and to strand me on a raft in the middle of the ocean for shark week surrounded by sharks and I, you know, it was a vision quest. It was an experience. Um, it's definitely given me a platform. I'm thankful to Discovery. I think they did an incredible job um, for me on what we did. But I really want to move forward in, you know, I do my own Allison's Adventures all across mm. uh, of the internet. But I'd like to do a show that just, well, isn't naked <laughs> for one thing. Right. And um, can have uh, a little more of that kind of Indiana Jones uh, element on a quest to uh, really even even just my family I mean I have such a plethora of uh, amazing things to share I think that it would be fun to do something with my with my fam and adventure and living off the grid here and it's a time where I think we really want to learn like I just don't I, I, okay the, I know this is completely other side of the world from naked and afraid but I just dove into TikTok which sounds hilarious I know <laughs> But I've gone down the rabbit hole of TikTok, and it's just such an amazing thing to see that the short form, because they've even started a whole learning thing, right, on TikTok, where it's like you can go 15 to 60 second videos, you can learn a survival tip. Um, you know, people's ADD scroll, scroll, scroll thing nowadays, what if we had good content on those quick scroll things where it's like, you could do something, you know, what if you're stuck in this situation? Quick. And people will absorb that and take it with them. This is a reusable water bottle that you could use. Just any, any kind of fun adventure. I call it education through entertainment, basically. Um, so that's what I'm focused on, getting out to the future generations right now in the platforms and the places that they're at, because that's where I think it's, it's valuable and it's needed. Well, I mean, there is so much incredible, there's so much content out there. I, you know, last summer I had to do, I've got a off the grid place, Northern Colorado, and I had to do some plumbing. And so I just got on YouTube and I learned how to be a plumber. And it's just, there's so much stuff out there. And, you know, turn the TV off, open up the laptop, go to YouTube, type yep. something in or, or TikTok, for example. But let, well, let's get in. You graduated from the University of Southern California Film School, very prestigious, and even more so because you were magna cum laude, I understand. Congratulations. I think that was tougher than, that was tougher than surviving <laughs> naked and afraid. <laughs> um, no, they were equal in different ways. Um, but wow, what an experience, right? To be homeschooled around the world. Um, I went to UC Berkeley. I did like uh, archaeology and, and anthropology stuff up there. And then I went down to USC Film School. And I don't know if you've seen Mean Girls, um, the movie, you know, with Tina Fey and Lindsay Lohan and it's basically about, you know, this, this girl that comes from the wilds of Africa and you mm -hmm. see her for the first time going to school with her little box lunch at like age 16, getting on the big yellow school bus and can't wait to have friends and, you know, tell everybody about her childhood monkey growing up. And they're all just in their high school 
uh, shenanigans that they normally do. And so it was coming from one jungle to another. Mm -hmm. Um, I couldn't believe it. I like, I had a teacher that would teach me and, you know, other people there. It was so crazy. I could like do homework, which I had always dreamed of. (laughs) Um, I had my own books and my own backpack. I had a closet for a hot minute in my dorm room there, which is like the coolest thing ever. Um, I couldn't believe it. I could actually like hang things up and put like my shoes in a place. And, um, I never forget, like I rushed to sorority and I didn't know. I just seen it in, 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 uh, in movies, you know, oh, you go to college, you rush to sorority, you do these things. I went to the wrong houses at the wrong times. Cause I didn't understand the whole system. And all the girls were freaking out thinking I was trying to like work the system and get in with the pretty popular people. And here I am like wandering around, you know, I can find my way through Everest. I had no idea anything about the Greek system. It just cracked me up. And they all thought I was this like massively wealthy, you know, girl who has a home in Hawaii and a home in Colorado. And I, I travel the world and they didn't recognize any of my clothing because they were all bought off the streets of Peru, you know, for $2, like these cute sundresses that a friend would weave me in some culture. So I think I was like this exotic beast to them. Um, so that was the one side of the experience. And then the other side of the experience was, you know, film school. And, and I think it's the most prestigious, like, oh, yeah. For example, Tom Hanks or Steven Spielberg would be teaching our class. Uh, so here I am, you know, never having a grade in my life and being like, Mom, I, I got an A and I promise I wasn't absent. I don't know why they keep saying that. And she's like, oh, Allison, like an A is a good thing. Um, it was pretty funny. So I worked really hard. I worked really, really hard. And I felt like I had finally found myself in this place where they accepted anal retentive nerds of all shapes. And I am a total nerd stuck in a surfer girl's body. And I am such a perfectionist. And I just love that creative process of like making a film and doing something creative and, um, and putting that story out there and seeing what will happen. And that was when social media was first hitting. So I was one of the first people on like Facebook and Instagram. And I went, oh my gosh. So I've been stuck in a tent. I've never been able to share this with anyone. And suddenly I can share these stories that I've always wanted to share. So that's how like Discovery found me and and all these places that I just started sharing um, through film and and through adventure and took my my camera and my surfboard and hopped on my camel and set off across the world and made a film series called Allison's Adventures and just been doing that. And it's led to amazing things like being on a podcast with you, being able to change environmental laws, um, speak at, you know, world forums, lots of school tours. And finally, this is the coolest thing ever is that when I was little, um, I would travel around with my little Ripley's Believe It or Not book in my backpack. It was kind of my, my only thing that you couldn't carry a lot, right? But I loved these Believe It or Not books. They were just so fun. And so I'd have it sticking out of my backpack, like climbing through Everest. And they approached me um, about doing a book and it's Allison's Adventures. And it literally, I was on my way to the London Book Fair to launch it when the pandemic hit. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, no, but it's still, um, it's still coming out. And I'm just, I can't believe it. So it's my whole life of adventures to now inspire the next generation um, to have a a real, I guess, a real Dora the Explorer to, to hopefully be a good role model and to, to um to lead them you know into a life a more unique life if that's what they want to dive into or just be entertained by the adventures and learn a lot when is the now that i understand your book is available now audio version and then you can pre-order printed could you explain a little bit more about what the status is (laughs) when it's coming out and 
<laughs> right? Um, as you know, we're in these kind of wild times, but um, yeah. what happened was, is it was going to launch and then uh, we kind of, everything went on hold, right? And I went, well, wait a minute. The entire world just went into homeschooling the day I was going to launch, you know, a book that would be great for homeschoolers. So let's, let's release a um, e-version, an e-book version, like iTunes, mm -hmm. Kindle, um, iBook. So there's an e-book version, Allison's Adventures, available. And then uh, you can pre-order uh, the, print, the print version um, on, on Amazon as well. And it's called Your Passport to the World, which, oh man, I'm just so excited. Like everything we've talked about from the Himalayas to paddling up to active volcanoes to Trash Island to survival secrets to other females that are doing amazing things. We highlight a lot of great female adventures, a lot of great male adventure, a lot, you know, a lot of girl power in there for sure. But I think it's kind of like if National Geographic and Harry Potter had a baby and then <laughs> it became a book. I love it. I can't wait to get into it. Yay. Hey, Allison, we do something on this show called Hypothetical Survival World. Uh-oh. And... I don't know if you remember the old choose your own adventure books where it's like, okay, if you want to go in the cave, turn to page 24. Yep. You want to go down to the beach, turn to page 18. Well, we've yep. kind of put together the same sort of thing. Now you've lived the ultimate hypothetical survival world with cameras, but we're going to do it again and you don't have to take your clothes off. Oh, sweet. So okay. here's how it works. Basically, there are going to be 10 situations that come okay. up and you can choose option A or option B. And if you choose what we consider in this hypothetical world, granted, the correct option, you get 10 points. If you choose the wrong option, minus 10 for a grand total of 100 points for a perfect score, which should be easy for somebody with your background. And obviously, uh, we, you could be the new summa cum laude graduate of hypothetical survival world. So do you want to play? Do I get a theme song? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll throw one in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll throw, we'll throw some theme music on. Oh, God, no pressure. Okay. No, okay. not at all. Now, granted, again, with all your experience, arguably, and if you want to, you can argue, no, I still think this is the right way to do it, but it is still also a game, and there has to be one choice that's better than the other. So here, Allison, here is your hypothetical scenario. Okay, I'm rubbing my lucky coconut right now. Perfect, perfect. Okay. You're in Bali. I understand you spent some time out there when you were yes. younger. And uh, it's early in the day. Okay. Now you're heading out to one of your epic, quote, secret surf sites okay. that uh, many people don't know about. Ooh. Been out there several times, and it's about 25 nautical miles out to the site, this epic secret surf site. We're going in a boat, you mean? So you uh, grab your surfboard. You grab your wetsuit, okay. you grab a one liter aluminum container like you have filled with water, and you've got a waterproof VHF radio. So surfboard, wetsuit, your aluminum container with about a liter of water, and a waterproof VHF. You hop into uh, your Zodiac and you start motoring out by yourself. And um, you're almost to the surf site, when you strike something, because as we've just discussed, the ocean is filled with stuff. You've nailed something, it's gashed, put a gash in your Zodiac, and unfortunately, smoke starts coming out of your motor, which turns to flame. Any questions about your situation right now, before we get started? So I'm alone, 
Yes. I'm going out to a surf break in the middle of the ocean. Well, yeah, no. and you're about 23 okay. miles off the coast when you impacted something. And it, what's the boat made out of? Is it a rubber Zodiac? Yeah, it's, it's a like rubber a Zodiac with a little outboard motor. So it's not a fishing boat like a typical Balinese. We're not. No, no, you're, you're kind of winging it on this one. And so you're out there in the Zodiac. Okay. And again, you have a surfboard. You've got a wetsuit. You have uh, one liter of water in an aluminum container. And you have a waterproof VHF. So in other words, if the boat pops, it's sinking because it's, it's, it's inflatable. Well, that is a bad part. But even worse, you now have a fire that has started as a result of this impact. So your motor's on fire and it's spreading quick. Okay. So here's your first decision. You've got a fire, it's starting to engulf your boat. Are you gonna abandon that boat, get out and get in the water, or are you gonna make some kind of an attempt to try and put the fire out? It's pretty aggressive though. Well, I have a, a radio, don't I? You do, but right now your only choice is to get out or try and fight the fire. Well, I mean, if you're in the middle of the ocean, you want all the items you can, I mean, think of Titanic, Jack and Rose. <laughs> like yeah. you want everything you possibly can have to stay yeah. afloat and, and stay out of the ocean. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll get to that, but right now you have to pick between A and B. Abandoned. But if I'm surrounded by ocean water, can I just put the fire, like I can bisque bale water onto the fire, correct? You can try if that's a choice you want to make. Um, I mean, I would, what's my options to put out the fire or to jump overboard and leave the boat? Yeah, this thing's getting engulfed in flames quick. You can make some type of attempt to try and fight that, or you can go ahead and get into the ocean. I mean, can I get into the ocean and then throw water on the flames? <laughs> you can't play this game that way, Allison. Can I do both? I know. And that's why I prefaced it with, uh, you know, Again, it's a hypothetical survival situation, and there could be multiple right answers, but unfortunately, the situation I put you in, you have one of two choices here. Well, if the fire burns everything I have, I'm in trouble. So I need to get away from the fire, um, definitely. But if I lose the boat and the all the... If I have a surfboard, I'm just as good as a popped raft that's gonna sink, so I'd probably get out of the boat. Okay, that is the correct answer given the only two choices that you had. Uh, yeah. You've got a fuel bladder there, the thing's getting engulfed. You gotta have to get away from the immediate yeah, danger. So in that situation, you're getting away from the immediate danger, you're getting in the water. Awesome, plus 10 points. Okay, so you are in the, you're in the water, you see this boat is getting engulfed. You think that you have the opportunity to go back and try and grab three and only three items. Okay. Okay. So you head back. Here is your first choice. And again, you only get three items. Choice number one, do you grab your surfboard or do you grab your water that's in your container? Oh, between the surfboard and the water? Yeah, for right now. Oh, I'd get the water. Okay. Well, the reason well, why, if, if you're thinking I mean, about- Oh, it's so detense because if you're in the middle of the ocean on a surfboard, I mean, you could try to paddle in. Well, that's your decision here. I mean, what is your priority given the situation? A surfboard or a water? 
your bottle of water. What do you think is the most important? I mean, if you're floating around in the ocean on a surfboard with no water, you don't have, you can die within a few days. If you're floating around in the ocean with a jug of water, I mean, the only thing the surfboard is going to do is keep you a little lifted out of the elements. But do I have my wetsuit on? See, that would be the most thing is if you freeze to death, but. Well, you're in a, you're in a bathing suit right now. That's where you're at in the ocean as well. Okay, surfboard or water? What's it gonna be, surfboard or water? Well, water you need to survive. Surfboard you don't need to survive. So I would There's a couple it. ways to look at that. Well, that's okay, you can make a choice and then we can sort of piece it apart. I mean, I could probably paddle back into shore within four days and get water. The thing is, is, is the jug, like, am I gonna, is the jug floaty? Because if I have to hold the jug and tread water, then I'm- Well, I mean, that the one that you have there with you, if it's full of water, it probably is going to, I think the buoyancy on that, with it full of water, is gonna be fairly negative. Come on, Allison. Surfboard, tick tock. I mean, my instinct would say get water because you need water to survive, but that might not be the right answer for what? Well, let's find out. Which okay. one do you want? Surfboard or water? Go oh, with water. it. Okay. Um, in survival situations, as you are well aware, I always say address the thing that can kill you first. That ends up being your priority. And so, given your situation, your number one priority, as simple as this sounds and as good of a swimmer as you are, your number one priority right now is to stay afloat. And so therefore, I would recommend, given the option between drinking water and a surfboard, as you keenly made aware, also keeping you up out of the water to a certain degree. I didn't degree. ask you how big the surfboard is because the surfboards that I ride, hang on, let's back up. The surfboards that I ride don't keep me out of the water. So I, I know, but they keep you afloat. And right now uh -huh. that happens to be your number one priority. So I would recommend let's deal with staying afloat. Again, okay. as basic as that concept sounds, especially because you're 23 nautical miles off the coast. Okay. So I'm going to recommend given that option, I would go get the surfboard. Okay. Okay. So that's right. okay. That's okay. I mean, I'd never leave my, I'd never leave my pink surfboard. So in reality, <laughs> perfect. Probably... All right. So we're back. We're back at zero, but that's okay. Okay. Again, you get two more options for grabbing gear. Here's option number two for gear. Okay. Are you going to grab that VHF radio? Okay. Or are you going to grab a wetsuit? Oh no. Choices between those two. The VHF radio. It's a little what, water radio. Yeah, yeah. It's it's waterproof. Well, if I'm already on my surfboard, I'll grab the, the radio if I, because I'll be, if it's a bigger surfboard, like you're saying, that I'll be out of the elements more. And that's my only lifeline to people knowing where I am, so. This is true, but you're 23 miles out and a VHF handheld radio has a range of maybe 10 miles, not uh, much. So yeah. what you're dealing, especially because you're in the water so low, so you're looking okay. at maybe a range of 10 miles where what is the next thing you need to think about? You're afloat. Well, now what's the next thing you need to think about retaining heat, hypothermia, and exposure? So in a survival situation, you'd want to have clothing. I mean, you and your number one thing is shelter is clothing. And that's why originally when you said water or surfboard, I would have gone straight for the wetsuit because... I, I know, but... Again, this is hypothetical and I'm yeah. trying, I kind of have to steer you down a path 
that in the real world you wouldn't walk down. But for right. this game, since we're playing, for this game, I would highly recommend getting that wetsuit because the next priority yeah, no, after- that's, that's funny, I, that, that was my first I know, I was hoping you were gonna go with your instinct on that because it was correct. No, 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 oh, well I would pick wetsuit now. I'm just saying my first inclination in the very beginning with everything is wetsuit, always wetsuit, because you have to stay, if you stay warm, that's the key, otherwise you're done. Right, so in this particular case, that's why I say, yeah, the radio would be great. But I didn't choose yet. I was just going back and forth between wetsuit and radio. I'll give this one to you. I'll give I'll okay. give you the wetsuit. All right. <laughs> so you're, you're, that's awesome. So you're right back, uh, you're back at plus 10 again. So you grabbed, okay, final chance to grab one of these two items. Okay. The water or the radio. Oh no. You're on your surfboard, or you have a surfboard, you have a wetsuit, water or radio, water or radio. What are you gonna choose? I think water. Go with your instincts. I think water. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. because on your priority list, okay, you're a float, yeah. check. Okay, you have something that's going to keep you warm, wetsuit, and help you float, check. Yeah. So what are you working at next? You're looking at exposure or dehydration. Yeah. The radio, it may or may not work. The water will definitely help you out with that. And I always say this, I always say this to my guys in the SEAL teams, and I say it now, if it takes a battery, it's going to take a crap exactly when you need it. So that's go for I that water. That's why it's so funny when you first said the radio. I don't even know what a VH like. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't use radio. I don't. It's just like the little. It's it's basically yeah. a bridge to bridge, or it's a small one. So it, a way a VHF radio works is your antenna can yeah. see that antenna. Then they, in theory, should be able to communicate because you're 23 miles out. Yeah. And so that little radio with that little antenna, nice not to ahead. have, but not ahead of floating, not ahead of a wetsuit, and not yeah. ahead of water. So you're plus 20. You're awesome. Okay, decision time. The boat, it's gone. It okay. is melted and it is sunk. So you are sitting on your surfboard with your water jug and yep. with a, a wetsuit. Do you continue to travel toward that surf spot, hoping that maybe somebody else is out there surfing, even though it's your secret spot? Or do you say, I'm heading back towards shore. I got a 23 mile uh paddle ahead of me Back but i'm gonna shore. get i'm gonna get moving all i need toward shore happens to be against the current well how far away am i from the surf break uh surf break it's about a mile Your surf spot is about a mile and a half. Popular, certainly know that if it's a secret yeah, but one that... maybe somebody else on Bali knows about this secret spot too so do you say, hey, I'm going to try a mile and a half and see if somebody's there, or I'm just going to start heading to shore? And I've got 23 miles ahead of me. What I'd really do in this situation is I would figure out where the boats would be coming from and try to track back to shore along that route of where it would go. But okay, so that would be heading towards the coast, heading back to where you came from. Or you but can if that's really far away, spot. if that's really far away, that's a long freaking way to go with a little jug of water. True. So I would Bird. probably perish in the process of okay. to do that. So you head into a surf spot? Or back? Towards, let's, let's risk see who's 
close by. Absolutely. I think that's... Because if you get there, you could always paddle back. You're just adding a mile onto your trip versus... Um, yeah, and, and, and that's go. the mindset too. It's You have a pretty good chance that somebody else knows about it and they're going to be there or coming out there at the same time. So you nailed it on that one. Absolutely. Head to that surf spot and hopefully somebody's there. All right, so you made it to the surf spot. Okay. You're looking around. Congratulations. It is a secret surf spot because you are all by yourself. And the waves are firing. All right. So here you go, though. Uh, you're confronted with this situation. You're all alone. Are you going to stay put for a little while? Uh, see if somebody comes along? Or are you going to be like, you know what? I'm going to start I'm going to start heading back toward the coast uh, about 25 miles. L-O-N-P-S, the current is against you if you're heading back to the coast. So stay put. See if somebody shows up. It's hot out, middle of the day, or I'm just going to go ahead and start doing this. Well, ooh, there's so many variables in that. What time of day are we at? Um, You're about noon right now, so it's pretty toasty. So you stay put. Maybe somebody comes out. Maybe they don't. Or you say, well, all right, this sucks. Time to head back to where I came from because I know where Bali is. My instinct is, though, is that if you exert yourself, you're just going to die in the middle of somewhere, whereas at least, you know, somebody might come there. Or they, because nobody will know where to find you if you're in the middle of, of nowhere trying to get back to. Yeah, but what if you're sitting in the middle of nowhere? But, for I was going to say, but if several, you're sitting out there in yeah. the middle of nowhere overnight, a shark's going to potentially come in. Oh, we're, oh, we're getting there. <laughs> I feel like where I would, what I would honestly do is if I knew the oceans enough, I would, like I said, I would try to start tracking back towards the island in the direction of like where a fishing route would go or where people would come out for that. Because if they're going to come to that, they're going to cross me. Then um, let's go with that. Let's go with that. So I would start heading back along a direction, you know, follow a reef, mm -hmm. follow a certain but I can't see anything. Yeah, I'll go back, I'll go back. Excellent, and I think that's the right choice and here's the reason why. There's a couple, There's a philosophical answer for it. If I'm gonna die, I'm gonna do it trying my damnedest yeah. to, to stay alive. So yeah. that concept of sitting around and letting the ocean's current just send me where I wanna go is not going to improve my situation. Just keep Unless my finger, yeah, keep my fingers crossed and saying I hope a fishing boat comes out of here. I, I just, I'm not gonna do that. Right. But then you have to be mindful of the energy that you're exerting in an attempt to stay alive. And so it's a little bit of both. And that's why I say, personally, I'm going to fight like hell to try and get out alive. So I'm heading, I'm heading back to Bali. Well, and so that gives you another 10 points, by the way, plus 40. Well, and an interesting side note, I mean, just that's why this is such a trippy, it kind of hits heart and home for me, this one, because we have, you've heard of the, the term Eddie would go. It's like the mm -hmm. bumper stickers. The Absolutely. And, and you know, the reason that he died is because he did jump off a boat and try to swim to shore for help in a situation, and that wasn't really the right call. So like you said, I know it's a game, and there can be rights or wrongs, but that's definitely a risk, too, to try to swim from the middle of the ocean back to an Well, I like that you're, you're in your head, though. I mean, you're thinking it through. And, and again, it is a game. It's hypothetical, and we like to have fun with it, and that's why it's a point system. But you are. You're grinding through. I can see it. You're like, mm hmm that, and this. So we're going to continue on to your next option here. Okay. okay. You're starting to stroke back. Okay. You come across an old sail from a sailboat. It's probably about 15 feet of fabric in a triangle. You're like, huh. Now, you're already paddling against the current. Do you grab that sail 
and try and drag it or put it on your board or you just leave it. Say so it's just unfortunately more, more junk in the ocean. We'll address that later. You grab the cell, it's like a faded orange or you're just gonna Well, is there it. wind to to um pull I mean if I made a sail, would it do I anything? Or am I just it's old old ratty cell, it's a faded orange ratty cell and you're asking yourself, well, is this something I can use? Or is this just gonna create my trip? Is it gonna make it that much harder? Because the weight, dragging it, what have you. Take it, leave it. I mean, it's so, yeah, if it's something I can hook up easy and try to make a sail out of, but if there's no wind, then I'm just dragging a dog. Maybe the wind will come later. Maybe it yeah. won't. Maybe it's gonna be burning twice as many calories. Maybe it won't, I don't know an opportunity i mean in my life i've always taken up like it's you always wanted something that could actually help you if you're in that kind of a crazy situation will it help um, you more than hurt yet i i feel like that's that's the I, million dollar question I, here or the 10 point question well if you don't try it you don't know yes so you grab it and you take it because it could it, it has the opportunity for multiple users right you're another couple hours in the pal and guess what you see? Oh crap. Yeah, and it happened. Boom. He bumps you. You go flying off your surfboard. He proceeds to turn your surfboard into a bunch of little coffee cups. <laughs> uh -oh. No, so he goes to town on your surfboard. Uh -oh. You're swimming off. You've got some range. He seems more interested in the surfboard. And so you're sitting there watching this happen. And all that's left when he decides to leave is a piece of your surfboard that's maybe about the size of a laptop. Okay. So, what do you do? Do you head back and try and recover that smaller piece of surfboard? Or, in the opposite direction, is your wetsuits and the cell and the water that are kind of miraculously sort of hung together. But you only get to go one way or the other you're a little concerned about the shark coming back. And unfortunately, you can either recover a piece of your surfboard. Well, like you said, you, can... you need flotation, though. Otherwise, I mean, a wetsuit is right. heavy. Um, you'd so stay you warm. A piece of surfboard or wetsuit water and that chunk of sail that you found. Are any of those floaty? They, they're all together. They somehow have stayed together. You were smart enough to wrap your wetsuit and put your container, put your container of water oh. inside your wetsuit so it's over there and just floating around with that old piece of cell, or you can go and try and recover the piece of surfboard. But you only get to do one because mysteriously the they're items. drift, they're drifting away from each other. You probably want the three items because that's way more. You can do way more with that if it's just a tiny little piece. I think you're absolutely right. And go with your gut. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> What does a wetsuit offer other than, uh, you know, obviously it's going to help you stay warm, but it also is going to give you buoyancy. Right. So, yeah, it's important to stay afloat. Yeah. You put that wetsuit on, you nailed it, multiple uses. It'll help me float. It'll, it'll protect me from hypothermia. I'm going to go for that wetsuit. It's not ideal to be in the water, but that's a better option than maybe a piece of surfboard. Right. Plus, you got to think a little longer term now. I'm going to need that water. I know I right. am. So that's another 10 plus 60 points. Here we go. Just two left. Ready? All right. Sun is setting. Uh, you're pretty spent. And um, 
you can do one of two things. You can put the wetsuit on. Okay. Or you can wrap yourself in that piece of sail that you have. Why would I not put the wetsuit on? I know this was this is a gimme. This is I put a gimme in each one for the people that are oh. just absolutely doing oh. terrible. It makes oh. them feel a little better. So yes, <laughs> you're gonna put that like wetsuit on. Is this a no. trick question? <laughs> no, this is for the people that are like, oh, I'm minus 60. I really suck. And so I give them a little softball. So that's your softball. I Absolutely. You know, get that wetsuit on. Is there a redemption? Is there a bonus question? This isn't fair. <laughs> no, I put the a... wetsuit on. Here's here's something that a lot of people actually don't realize about hypothermia. When you're in the water, that water, even if it's 84 degrees, you're losing one degree of body temperature, core temperature, an hour, even yeah. in something that feels like a hot bath. Yep. So absolutely get that wetsuit on and uh, it's going to help you float. It's going to conserve some of your energy. And most importantly, given the fact that the sun's going down, it's going to keep you warmer. Yeah. So wetsuit. here we go. Sun's going down and you hear in the distance a motor. You don't know what it is, but you hear a motor. It's not a plane. It's not, it's probably a fishing boat. So okay. you have, you have, a, here's your final choice. Signal using your silver water bottle container to try and ref create reflection from a sun that's setting, or try and spread out that sail, that faded orange sail, to see if they can see that. I do both. <laughs> mm, you could in the real world, but in hypothetical survival world, you only get to choose one. Well, if I don't know if it's a boat or a plane, a boat's not gonna see my sail, then I'd have to I, I mean, I've never really had a water bottle work to reflect, but okay, hypothetically, yes, I guess. Yeah, there you go, and, and that would be it, and, and you nailed it. it. You know, you could be in an ocean, you can be 10 feet away from somebody and not even see them. Right. So based on the fact that you have such a low profile, let's do everything we can to create, while we still have some last light, and create a reflection. So, Allison Till, you knocked it out with a plus 70, if I, my math is right here. No, I'm sorry, you're plus 80. That's great. That's really good. Plus I mean, 80? How many did I miss? Well, you missed, so you started at a plus 10. One. So you missed one, and so you were zero, and then you needed to come back. So that's why it's a plus 80. Uh, so you want plus 10 to zero, back to a plus 10. 80 is, 80 is awesome. We need to go ahead and call Discovery Channel and tell them to get you into a hypothetical world. <laughs> I'm just so glad you didn't give me the same thing you gave Steve-O with, like, uh, if I'm in a hostage situation with a gun, I was listening to that. I was like, oh boy. Oh this, yeah. This, this would be tough. I'd be well, I wanted to put you in your wheelhouse. You got the surfboard and I figured, all right, why not? But you handled it awesome. You did a great job. Thanks for playing. I really appreciate it. And um, look, let's go ahead again. Um, your book coming out, Allison's Adventures, Your Passport to the World. Folks, you can get it now or you can pre-order for a printed version. Is there anything you want to you want to leave with us in something we call an after action report? Is there something maybe that you learned or something just a final thing that you want to tell the folks that are listening? Yes, if that ever happens to me, am I allowed to bring you with me? Because <laughs> I think <laughs> can we go back? Is there a question where I get to bring you on the? Uh, yeah, well, I I guarantee you, I'll I will hold my weight. I will I will, <laughs> I will help out. I want. Uh, Worth, Actually, forget that. For then I'd have to share the water. Never mind. Let's, oh. let's <laughs> Only if you bring chocolate. Um, no, you know, it's really sweet. I, I just, I wanted to acknowledge you for doing this. It's fun to, you know, have a different vein of a, of a podcast. And I think during these times, this is 
really important. I can't tell you like, you know, we were laughing about the toilet paper, how many calls I got in the beginning, you know, of this pandemic being like, what if this happens? What do I do? And, you know, again, you come from maybe more of a trained background in this realm. And I come from just an experiential living like a Tarzan child um, in that way. And so I think right now, it's really important for people to hear things like this. And it's fun that it's done in like a game way. And maybe we're not going to all end up in the middle of the ocean with sharks or, you know, handcuffed in, in some crazy terrorist situation. But um, it's important to learn that. And through, if we can't all get this experiential education, at least we can listen to something like this and really dive in um, so that we pass on that information because in the olden times, right, it wasn't survival. It was just normal. This kind of stuff would happen all the time with fishermen, with people who were um, in situations. And so uh, right now we call it survival, but you know, I think it's life. And so I, I honor what you're doing. And I think that it's, it's really incredible for people to learn, even if it's just, you know, in tidbits, what they can take away uh, from this. So well, I appreciate come it. visit me here. I would love to. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Allison. Yeah, it's basically, the whole reason why we're doing this is we're trying to educate, we're trying to entertain, and at the end of the day, end of the day we're trying to save lives. So if we can do it in this way and maybe it helps somebody out, that's awesome. So Allison Teal, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Again, very tough. Oh, you probably have to go out and surf a little bit later or something like that. That's uh, sorry. Yes. I'm going to go for a surf, but I'm not going 25 miles offshore. No, don't, don't. Keep it close. Beach with an eyesight. Thank you again so much for your time. Hey, folks, if you've enjoyed this, if you have folks that you care about, friends, family, coworkers, please share it with them. And you can listen, subscribe, and listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get yours. So you can be a survivor, not a statistic. Thank you again, Allison Till. This is Cade. Aloha. Can You Survive This Podcast is a Cavalry Audio production recorded live from The Bunker in Denver, Colorado. Hosted by me, Kate Courtley. Produced by Brandon Morgan and Kate Courtley. Associate producer is Jeff Apple. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti.